Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. He uh, he lives and breathes um, uh, pass rushing. He does uh, when I was around him um, San Francisco, he would do pass rush moves on a uh, sanitizer, um, you know, like little pods. Like, if you see, like, an object, like this podium, he would do a pass rush move on it. That's Mike McDaniel, coach of the Dolphins, talking about 49ers pass rusher Nick Bosa, one of the various... Extremely talented 49ers defenders that McDaniels Dolphins will have to deal with this weekend. I'm picturing Nick Bosa doing pass rush moves on Mike McDaniel at some point, which would be worth the price of admission because I'm not a large person, but Mike McDaniel is maybe my height, if not shorter, and definitely skinnier than me, and I am skinny. Before we go any farther, let me say welcome in to Miles Simmons, who has taken the challenge of replacing Chris Sims, who is under the weather today. Up early again for the second time in three days out on the West Coast. I'm serious. I'm not trying to sound sarcastic. I know I am sounding sarcastic. There is no sarcasm intended. Thank you. And I really mean that. Thank you so much for getting up early to help us out, given that Chris has the sniffles this morning. Miles. Uh, it is it is no problem. I am happy to try and be a good teammate and fill in here. I, I was doing laundry. And I was folding laundry and not doing anything more interesting last night. But you know what, Mike? As I was getting the closest and cleanest to come in here and, and sit down and do the show, I realized it is the second anniversary of my first day at PFT. So how fitting. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Perfect. That worked out well. I couldn't have planned it any better, even though I had no idea. Why do I feel like it's been longer than two years? I feel like it's I been guess I just have that years. effect on people. I know. It, well, and it may it may feel that way for you as well. <laughs> but uh, good. Well, congratulations and thank you for tolerating me and the operation and everything else that goes along with it for the past two years. I hope you have found it you. fruitful and I hope you will. I hope you will be with us for many more years as well. Me, too. Hopefully I don't screw it up today. We'll see. I don't know. <laughs> you almost you almost got there the other day when you started giving me a hard time about explaining what a cliche means, but uh, I'm glad we were able to move past um, it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, we have moved past it until we circle back around to it. Anyway, back to pass rush moves. Nick Bosa just seems oh, like yeah. one of those guys that can never turn it off. Sims and I were yeah. at the playoff game. Minnesota, San Francisco, three years ago, coming up in January. And you can just tell he's one of those guys that just oozes constant activity, constant roughneckery, where he's always messing around. He's always active. He can't sit still. He can't stop doing something. And that's one of the key ingredients in being a great pass rusher. It's not some guy who's just going to sit around. It's a guy who's always looking to do something and is always ready to try to get around a tackle and get to a quarterback. 
Yeah, I mean, he seems like one of those guys where if you just kind of stand in the right place, like if you were in high school and you're with Nick Bosa and he's walking down the hallway and he sees you, he might just give you a little like kind of grab and tug and rip right through because he's always thinking about the pass rushing. And so it doesn't really surprise me that uh, if he's next to a little hand sanitizer pod or whatever it is, he's going to put that move on the little hand sanitizer pod, too. That doesn't surprise me at all. Although there really isn't much of a challenge in a hand sanitizer pod. I mean, but no, <laughs> but but as you're walking around, it's not like it's not like you're going to have Trent Williams there to give you some practice reps uh, whenever you feel like it. But yeah, he just can't turn it off. And that's good because it's one of the reasons why the 49ers are so damn good. It's something that Sims and I talk about all the time, Miles, how they have collected a bunch of guys who just roll out of bed and kick your ass. They don't need to practice tackling. They don't need full padded practice. They don't need that callus all over their body that we used to see for every football player, especially this time of year. They just keep practicing, practicing, practicing in order to be ready to go. They're always ready to go. And it gets them in trouble because it gets them injured because they they the Jets have tried to use the phrase all gas, no breaks. Well, I think Robert Sala, the coach of the Jets, brought that from San Francisco because that's how that team, especially the defense and plenty of guys on the offense operate. Yeah, it is. But I mean, look, when you are number one in yards allowed and number one in points allowed and you're entering week 13, there's something about that process that's right, you know? So even if it is that they get hurt, I mean, this is how it's interesting, too, because Kyle Shanahan has thought of this of as this offensive guru, and he is. But when you look at the way those teams have been constructed, they kind of win with defense. Right? That's how they got to the Super Bowl in 2019 is doing it with defense. And it just so happened that they ran into the buzzsaw that was Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl, and he did what he does in the fourth quarter. So if they get to the Super Bowl this year, it is definitely going to be on the strength of their defense, and that's just the way that team is constructed. I mean, you're right. Jimmy Garoppolo tried to self-destruct in the playoff game against Minnesota. It didn't matter because the defense prevented the Vikings offense from doing anything about it. And then when they got right. to the championship game, Jimmy Garoppolo played the role of Bob Greasy with everything but the glasses on under his helmet and just hand it off, hand it off, hand it off. And it didn't matter because the defense was able to shut down Aaron Rodgers. And then, yeah, they met their match in Patrick Mahomes. Maybe they'll meet him again this year, the way things are going. All right, let's get to it. The show PFT Live presented by Google Pixel. Learn more at googlestore.com. Hello to our audience on Peacock, Series XM, easy for him to say, 85. Sky Sports NFL, the folks in the UK and Ireland enjoying the program or otherwise. As long as you watch, I really don't care if you enjoy it. I just want you to watch it. And anyone listening on podcast, wherever, however, and whenever you may choose to do so. We got some business to clean up from yesterday. New business, old business. I guess at the meetings they do old business before new business. But the old business was the Colts giving themselves the business on Monday night by not calling timeouts in a more expeditious fashion. Initial reaction by Coach Jeff Saturday was to say, I have no regrets. Then came the day after. And to his credit, to his credit, willing to be transparent, willing to to acknowledge he has applied further thought to the situation and he has decided that maybe, maybe he could have done a better job. Here he is from yesterday. Looking back, um, obviously there's always things everybody wants to do, plays they want back. I I wish I had that third down back, in all honesty. I wish I had used a timeout. Um, just looking at it on film, looked at it last night again, looked at it this morning again and and uh from a time perspective i felt i felt good but the uh you could tell we were in disarray i just didn't have a great feel and um i you know parks made a great call i still liked the call right away you know i told him to have one ready and as soon as he went down he had the call in place so his 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 was on but then we had the formation of personnel we had guys running across and um again i just you know looking back it's a learning experience. I didn't, I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't meet my expectations. Again, I hold the guys accountable. I'm accountable for that. Just wish I would have, um, that one's the one that is going to stick with me. So use it as a learning experience. Hopefully get better at it, but frustrated with myself on that. All my coaches, uh, I mean, whether it be, uh, 
Tony, whether it's Jim Caldwell, uh, th- those guys were always uh, very transparent with the team. And uh, I felt like they were very honest with everybody, whether it was public or not. And um, I-, I believe in that. I mean, there's not, listen, you know, there, everybody's going to have opinion one way or the other, either way. Um, and I- I'm not concerned with what goes on outside, but inside, I want to make sure everybody feels, um, you know, that, that you, know, you own whatever your portion is and everybody has a role. And, and you know, at that moment in that role, um, you know, I just feel like I should have done something different. Miles, the key word there, and he used it twice, experience. Now, he mm-hmm. preceded experience with learning experience, but when you have experience, that's the value of experience. You've been there. You've done that. You've been there. You've done that. You've learned. Sometimes you learn as a member of a coaching staff while the head coach goes through it and you go, hmm, I'm glad I learned the lesson now because that'll make me better prepared for the day when I'm the one that has to make those decisions in the moment, in real time. One thing to watch it on film the next day or watch it on TV live When you are in the middle of it, it's a different feeling altogether. It's so much easier to be the one at home saying, like Peyton Manning week one with the Broncos, timeout, 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 right? When you're the one on the sideline, you don't know what to do. You feel paralyzed by it. So you have to do it. You have to get the experience. The learning experience comes from experience. And this was the whole beef that so many had with it. You're plucking a guy that's got no experience and you're putting him in charge of one of 32 NFL franchises. That's why people were upset about it. It's nothing against Jeff Saturday. It's a, a, a frustration with the fact that we're expecting a guy with no experience to act like a guy who has experience. He just doesn't. And Monday night was a great example of it. Well, the thing that I just kept thinking about, even as that was going on on Monday night, was Jim Ursay at the introductory press conference for Coach Saturday talking about I'm glad he doesn't have experience because he doesn't have the fear that coaches have of analytics and whatever other weird things that Jim Mercer was talking about at that point. But this is like you were just saying, what happens when you don't have experience? This is where you don't have the, the wherewithal to say, okay, I've been in a situation like this before as another member of the coaching staff. Right. I've been in this situation as somebody who has looked at the decision making process and then will do something else. I mean, the the whole thing of that sequence was just weird because you have three timeouts. So he's talking about the third down, but I'm thinking also about second down because Matt Ryan got sacked. Right. He took a sack fumble on first down. So it ends up being second and 17. And while that worked out okay, I mean, you can see it right there that he goes and he makes it third and one, third and two, whatever it was, you know, because he was able to run. But here you can see they are in disarray. They don't necessarily know what they're doing. They're trying to get to the line. They're trying to get the right play call. You should call timeout, in my opinion, after first down because he got sacked. So get your play right. You know, I mean, when Matt Ryan is running for that many yards, your play is not right in the first place. Because that that's not something that should be happening. You don't plan on Matt Ryan scrambling, right? So especially then, if you're not going to call timeout there, fine. But if you're going to call timeout, if you're not going to call timeout before third down, it's like, well, what are you doing? You need to be able to have everything right, you know? And, and credit to Jeff Saturday, who said, I told Parks Frazier to have a play ready and all of that. And that's fine, even though Frazier is in, you know, one of his first few weeks as a play caller. It's just give yourself the time to do everything. That's what the timeouts are for. And I think in those situations, you want to make sure that you have the right play. And I don't know that the Colts gave themselves enough time to actually have the right play on. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh. <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The word that Saturday used was disarray. Folks who were watching the show yesterday or who have listened to the podcast in the interim will remember, possibly, that the word Chris used was disheveled. 
another D word, but the same idea. There was a yes. look. There was a vibe. There was something going on. And because the initial defense by Saturday included saying there was no reason to take a timeout, and I'm paraphrasing here, because I already had my play call for third down and I wasn't changing it. Okay, fine. But the problem is when you rush to the line and everybody is kind of like looking around like Russell Wilson in that moment week one against the Seahawks when, you know, everyone's like, what are we doing? What are we doing? Oh, yeah, we're going to kick a 68-yard field goal or whatever it was. The, uh, the, the reality is Alex Highsmith of the Steelers diagnosed what was coming, and you saw him make the play. He explained yeah. after the game the formation – where the tight end was, the way the tight end was standing, film study, I knew this was going to be a run. And mm-hmm. you see him go right through. It's not even hot knife through butter. It's hot knife through air. He goes right through and makes the tackle. That's what happens when you allow yourself to be disheveled and or in disarray and or any other potential synonym starting with D. So, yeah, that's the problem. And... And, and now, now, Jeff Saturday has experience. And the next time around, uh-oh, he'll have fear, Miles. He'll have some of that fear that Jim Mercy was talking about because he'll be fearful that us in the media may criticize him, except the folks at ESPN, but us at all the other outlets well. may criticize him if he screws up. What? They bet themselves I mean- in knots. To not criticize him. They were dumping on Matt Ryan for not calling the timeouts. They went right to it. And they didn't have to. The better argument, as Chris Sims made yesterday, was you don't know that not calling the timeout screwed things up. They didn't run out of time. They ran out of downs. That was the issue. They ran out of downs. And the bigger issue with that third down wasn't that they didn't take the timeout. It's that they pissed away a play. They wasted that snap and put themselves in fourth and three. Call the timeout. And then you have two plays, third down and fourth down. Here's what we're doing. And we're going straight to the line on fourth down. We're not giving them time to think about anything. We know exactly what we're doing on fourth down. We got it planned out. We got two timeouts left, too. So we got the whole field to work with on fourth down or third down. We don't have to worry about getting out of bounds. We got time because we have timeouts. So they ran out of downs. But one of the reasons they ran out of downs is they didn't use a timeout when they should have to just take a step back and get their act together. Yeah, exactly. So it's all in that process where you're saying, okay, how do I manage this game? And that's part of why it's good that Jeff Saturday is not the offensive play caller, right? Because he's supposed to be in it, you know, zeroing in on these game management situations. But that was a test and that one he failed and he admitted he failed it. You know, I mean, you said it to his credit. That's something that he has admitted now publicly, and he didn't double down on what was obviously flawed reasoning, right? So, okay, that's great. But this is one of the things where you you see on-the-job training, and it's like, hmm, you know, why exactly is this happening? And it's the lack of experience. Well, okay, now he has experience, so does that really make him better or is he going to be paralyzed by the fear the next time, just like he was paralyzed by the inexperience this time? And I don't know if it's just a criticism of it. It's it, and that comes from the outside. It's also, in some ways, in the back of his mind, he's got to be thinking, man, I have two former head coaches on my defensive staff, and they have the experience and the wherewithal of being in these situations and probably knowing exactly what they should do. I'm talking about John Fox and Gus Bradley. So it's it's an odd situation in the first place. But then when you see something like this where the game management gets messed up, I think that just adds another layer of complication to the whole thing. And, you know, the reality is when you're going to do something unconventional like this and hire a guy to be the interim head coach who has twice before not accepted an offer to become the offensive line coach and be part of the staff and who hasn't been coaching other than at the high school level at any point during the decade since his playing career ended, you set yourself up for this type of criticism and you accept that the bar is going to be higher for you. Sure, plenty of other coaches mismanage the clock, but when you take a guy who has no experience and you put him in that spotlight, it's more significant and conspicuous 
when he does. But the bottom line is the next time they find themselves in this situation, they will approach it differently. The reality is they lost the game and they're now four, seven and one. And it's going to be harder for them to get to the postseason. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago, they were looking like they were in pretty good shape. They had the Eagles on the ropes. It just shows you how close these games are, no matter who the head coach is. The talent level is close enough that everyone has a chance. And that's why it's critical to make good decisions. That's why it's important to not shoot yourself in the foot. That's why you have to make the advantage. And also, now, what do we, we hear the cliche? It's more about not losing the game. It's not about winning the game. Tom Brady was talking about that not long ago. It's, mm-hmm. you, 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 you protect against losing. You try not to do something that loses the game, and that in and of itself helps you win the game. So that's what we saw on Monday night, and we'll see if the Colts can get a better outcome. Primetime Sunday night football against the Dallas Cowboys. That game was not flexed out, even though some thought it would be. I don't know why. They're not. It could be the Cowboys against Northwestern. Is that a bad college program right now? I don't know. Yes, West is. Virginia University. Okay. So, okay. Oh. But pick a bad to average college football team and put them against the Dallas Cowboys in primetime, and it ain't getting flexed out because it's the Cowboys. It's America's team. However, Patrick Mahomes got flexed out of primetime because – the Chiefs were going to play the Denver Broncos. And that just shows you how bad the Broncos are right now, folks. The Broncos are so bad, the NFL decided to take a Patrick Mahomes game out of primetime. You've been deprived of seeing one of the great quarterbacks of all time do his thing in primetime because it also meant we didn't have to, you know, look away while the Broncos' offense was trying to operate. And I mentioned that not just to throw a stray as you would say, Miles, at Nathaniel Hackett. But the next oh, item on our list today is Nathaniel Hackett talking about the message he would have to fans right now who would very much like for him to no longer be the head coach of the team. Here he is. I mean, nobody's as frustrated uh, as I am. You know, this is not where we wanted to be at this this time in the season. None of us thought it was going to be like that, and that responsibility is fully on me. Uh, I want to be the one that uh, can do everything to help this football team because we as a group have to come together and find a way to win a football game. And uh, we can't uh, play the way that we played last week, uh, the, yesterday and expect to win a football game. So it starts with me from the preparation, practice preparation, every single thing that we do. Um, I'm the most frustrated. I think our fans are great. I mean, they want to win just like we all do. So, I, I mean, I don't blame them for being frustrated. And uh, for me, all I know is to work put my head down with our staff. I believe in this staff, believe in these players, and uh, we got to get better plays, better execution across the board. You know, the problem with the Broncos hasn't been they've been overpowered or embarrassed by anyone. It's all these self-inflicted wounds. It's what we were talking about with the Colts. You do things to lose the game. It's not that the opponent is engaging in some Herculean task that is beating you. You're beating yourself. And all these games are close with the exception of the 23-10 to 10 loss to the Panthers. That was the first game that they've lost by more than one score all year. And that's what's driving people crazy. They're close, and they're doing something. Ultimately, Nathaniel Hackett is doing something or failing to do something to secure those victories. And it's, it's making the fans more and more frustrated, obviously. Well, and it's only going to get worse unless they find a way to turn around the last six weeks. Which, I mean, I don't know about you, Mike, but I don't see that happening. I mean, they're not even scoring 15 points per game, Mike. They're they're 14.8 points per game, which is a point behind the next couple of teams there in Houston and Indianapolis, which tells you a lot. I mean, they, they've only scored at least 20 points two times this season. They haven't scored more than 23 points at all in a game. It's really, really, really bad. I mean, the worst offense I covered with the Rams was in 2016, and they scored 14 points per game. I looked this up last night. But they had at least scored 37 at one point against the Bucs. There's not been one game where you can say, oh, yeah, the offense, you saw it. You know, it, it's close to breaking out. There were, there were dimes from Russell Wilson, and he was getting Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy, and they were running the ball well. And it's just that was the game where you can point to, and man, if they could just get that consistently. There's not even been that. They can't even do that. So I just, yeah, it, it, I'm almost starting to feel bad for Nathaniel Hackett because it's very clear that whatever offensive plan paired with the quarterback right now who's not playing well either 
that they're putting together, it's really, really, really not working. And I, I have a hard time seeing it turn around in these last six weeks. And everything that they're doing to make it better isn't working. Like, what are they ultimately doing to make Russell Wilson more comfortable? To use the offense that worked for Russell Wilson in Seattle. And I don't know that that offense would work for him at this point. I really do think the issue with Russell Wilson is he's lost just enough mobility that he's lost his confidence in his abilities. That 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 difference, that extra little bit where you can buy yourself some time to make a throw, to get outside the pocket, or to take off. I see him hesitate at times. You know, he's just not he's just not as sure of himself as he used to be, and that's what kind of comes yeah. through when you watch the Broncos play. So I don't know that they can do anything at this point to make it any better other than just hand off on every play. And what can you do there? All of your running backs are injured. They're down to guys who first joined the team via the practice squad. From the top of the depth chart to the bottom. And you mentioned the Rams. Are you sure? Are you are you sure? Are you a hundred percent positive you want to go home to Cleveland for Christmas and not stay in LA <laughs> so you can enjoy Broncos at Rams on Christmas Day? What what uh, an opportunity yeah. you're missing. Oh, I know. Yeah. Uh, spend Christmas with my friends at that stadium. No, I don't think that that's something that I, I want to do. I'll, I'll, I'll plan on going uh, next Thursday, though. Raiders, Rams. Because that one's here, and I'm planning on being in town. But you know what? As you were saying that, Mike, with Russell Wilson, what, what, let's do this kind of thought experiment where what if he were the quarterback of the Eagles right now? And we see what Jalen Hurts can do running the ball. And, and I don't know. I'm, I'm flashing back to early career Russell Wilson where he was running the ball that effectively. And it's like I think that Russell Wilson could have maybe played the role of Jalen Hurts in that kind of system. but now. I don't see Russell Wilson being able to run the ball like that. And that probably is the inherent problem with Russell Wilson, right? He's not necessarily as good just being in the pocket as he used to be when he was moving around, making things happen and all that. And Jalen Hurts right now, obviously is an MVP candidate, right? So it's, I, I don't know. I, I think even if, you dropped Russell Wilson in a better system like that, that probably would have worked for him really well early on in his career. I don't think that he could do those kinds of things today. I don't disagree with that. And the question becomes why he just turned 34 yesterday. And he's one of those guys that always seems younger than he is because it, to me, it's like, he's still just kind of showed up not that long ago. Oh, wait, a decade has gone by, but he's 34. And, and, he shouldn't be losing his legs. He shouldn't be losing his raw ability. And I don't know whether it's a factor of he feels like he needs to be thicker to withstand the beating. And the other side of it, too, is, hey, if we're going to be real as it relates to whether or not Russ, Russell Wilson is the authentic article, you know, and that's well documented by now. Do you really see the actual person? How much of it is contrived? How much of it is rehearsed? How much of it is for the benefit of our perception and not his reality? We've been led to believe this guy is work, 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 work. Maybe he's not. Maybe he just knows how to create the impression by, hey, turn the camera on and I'm going to I'm going to do some stuff for a little while and we're going to make it look like I do this all day. Meanwhile, I'm you know, I'm going to go take a load off and and not do anything for a while. I, 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 don't, I don't know mm-hmm. why at 34 he would have lost his ability to run the way he used to. We haven't seen an accumulation of injuries. This isn't like Eddie George where he just went off a cliff because he'd been banged around his entire career. Not one specific thing. Just can't do it anymore. I, I don't know why Russell Wilson now doesn't move like Russell Wilson used to. But, you know, it's a fair question. And, and again, mm-hmm. I don't know that one of the all-time great griffs, Miles, by the Seattle Seahawks, propping him up just long enough to get somebody to give multiple first-round draft picks to get him off the books and move on at the right time because maybe the Seahawks believed we're at the limit of how long we can hold this together, and they did it at the exact perfect moment. You know, I, when you say why he's lost his legs, I'm thinking, well, you know, there are sometimes players, like Cam Newton came to my mind, and it's like, well, he didn't really lose his legs. He lost his arm because he kept getting banged around. 
right? But he still has the ability to run the football. We saw that last year when he went back to the Panthers. So it's a different deal with Russell Wilson. And I don't know, man. I mean, I, I as I turn 31, like everything, it's just the days that just things just seem to be wrong with me. And my foot hurts one day and I'm like, what is this? This, this didn't happen the other day. My knee starts acting up and I'm like, I don't do the kinds of things that Russell Wilson does. What do I do? I ride the Peloton and I run a little bit. So I don't know if you are out there and you're playing and you're running and you're running around and there's some hidden yardage in the way that he used to run around and make plays and stuff like that. And when he was playing on the turf in Seattle, maybe some of that is the accumulation of things and it just affects his body in that adverse way. I I really don't know, but there is certainly something that is missing with him. And in addition, that in addition to the kind of (laughs) the offensive scheme and the game plans that they're putting out there with the Denver Broncos has added up to what has been the worst offense in the league. And I guess the big takeaway is, as we see these other great quarterbacks who rely on mobility get older and older, there's no guarantee that they're going to be able to do what they're doing indefinitely. Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, the first two who come to mind, the way we see them move, maybe they do. And we saw in Super Bowl 55 against the Bucs, Mahomes loses just a little bit, and he's swallowed up by that Tampa Bay pass rush. So Mahomes needs everything that he can currently do. Josh Allen needs everything. Right, but the offensive line wasn't a whole lot better the year before against the 49ers, and he still ran away from them. I'm just saying it's a little bit. You don't have to lose much to all of a sudden be the guy who's dragged down, not the guy who runs away and makes the big throw. And it applies to all these quarterbacks who are using their legs. Jalen Hurts at some point. Can you keep doing it? Russell Wilson is a cautionary tale that maybe – Maybe even by the time you turn 35, you're not going to be able to do it. Uh, One thing that Russell Wilson is having a hard time doing is keeping his teammates on his side. Nathaniel Hackett addressed earlier this week the moment between Mike Purcell and Russell Wilson where Purcell got in Wilson's face. And I think Wilson understood not the best idea to take this guy on. I think I would lose this one. Here's Nathaniel Hackett on that interaction. Yeah, when we, when we were up there, uh, obviously was addressing Mike on the personal foul that he had, talking with him as he passed by me, heard him say, you know, let's go, and uh, did not know that it was directed to any specific person. Looked like it was just he wanted everybody to start going and wanted to get a spark. Um, so that was really all that I heard. I talked with Mike after, talked with Russell, everybody. Everybody's good, part of it. It's emotional game. I mean, you want every one of your football players to want to do anything to win. And you want them to hold each other accountable. You want them to uh, try to fire each other up. I've always believed that it's a little different coming from a coach um, and then coming from a player. I think that whenever it comes from a player, you know, those guys, that means a lot to them. Um, so I, I appreciate his passion and understand it. I just don't want him to get that personal foul um, in that situation. But besides that, you know, I mean, I, I love when the guys are fired up. I mean, that's what we ask for, and we want everything fired up. Yeah, I mean, look, they, they gotta, they gotta try to spin this one into chicken salad. I mean, Purcell, yeah. in a in a moment of high emotion and pointed passion, giving it to the guy who's one of the main reasons why they keep losing games because he's just not getting it done. And Russell didn't know what to do there. He didn't know how to deal with that, and I, I wouldn't either. I'm not taking that guy on. He's getting in my face. He's all fired up, and he's the guy that just got a personal foul out on the field. So it's just that, that is a glimpse of the frustration that the defensive players have to be feeling in Denver right now, Miles. And, and yeah, Russell Wilson's going to be the centerpiece of that frustration. He sure is. I mean, I, a few weeks ago, or I guess this was now over a month ago, when the Broncos and Chargers played on Monday Night Football, uh, I, I went to that game at, at SoFi Stadium, and it was very clear just the sense of frustration that Justin Simmons had at the podium, right? And and it wasn't so much that he was trying to direct it at anybody. He was just trying to internalize everything so that he could have a proper response instead of just a reaction. And, you know, I I can appreciate that from somebody who is a defensive player and who is a leader on that team. You want to try to make sure that everybody stays together. But at the same time, with how good that defense is played, how well that defense is played, 
it has to wear on you at a certain point that they can't score more than 16 points consistently. So I don't recall the last time I saw a defensive player during a game go up to the quarterback and shout like that. that that's something we don't usually see. And especially when it's a guy as big as Mike Purcell and he's going up to somebody <laughs> with the stature of Russell Wilson, that is stark. It is very, very stark. So they've got a lot of issues that they've got to deal with. And I don't blame Mike Purcell for being frustrated, but when that stuff boils over, it doesn't help you at all. No, and they have, I think, a real challenge holding it together these final six weeks to the credit of Nathaniel Hackett the players continue to play hard how long will that last and you know the debate has been raging should the Walmart moguls just get rid of Nathaniel Hackett now and there's an argument to be made that it makes sense because you could let EJ Evero take over and audition on the job let's see what he can do Let's give him some reps. Let's give him some experience. We've been talking about how important that is. And maybe he lays the foundation to become the coach next year. And you go with a defensive-minded team, just like the Seattle Seahawks. Defensive-minded team with an offense that does just enough. That's how we go forward with this. But I continue to believe and I continue to hear that they're committed to letting Nathaniel Hackett get through the season. It's so rare that a coach gets fired during his first year. They just don't want to add their names to that very short list of first-year debacles. Even though they didn't hire him, they want to just get through this season. And for now, I expect that they'll be able to, but who knows? Maybe that Purcell incident with Russell Wilson is just the first step toward all-out dysfunction that could descend on the Broncos between now and January the 8th, Miles. I mean, we just don't know. Because at some point, at some point as you get close to the end of a season, it's human nature to start making business decisions on the field, to start protecting your body. You don't want to get surgery. You don't want to have your off-season wrecked. You don't want to have your contractual expectations completely implode because you got an injury in a meaningless late regular season game. We're going to start seeing maybe less of a lack of effort, less of a lack of or, or less less effort. Excuse me, less of a lack of effort. What the hell was that? Less effort, <laughs> less will, less fight from the Broncos than what we've seen so far. That's going to be the big challenge for Nathaniel Hackett to hold everyone together as they get to the playing out the string portion of the season. Well, I think they're kind of there, right, at this playing out the string portion um, of the schedule. And it, it's not like they're going to face the Northwestern Wildcats as you threw them under the bus earlier, right? I, they're, they're, they're still playing good teams. You know, I think they got Baltimore this week, Wildcats right? minus so two and a half against the Broncos. What's that? Wildcats minus two and a half against the Broncos. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. Um, But that's, I I don't know. It's, it's just, like I said, it's weird because you come into this season with all these expectations, right? And Russell Wilson is supposed to be the guy who is the heir apparent, whatever you want to call it to Peyton Manning, who helped that franchise win the Super Bowl in Super Bowl 50 back in 2015, which just, it feels as long ago as that was now. And when you come into the season with the expectations that they had and the defense is performing to those expectations and the offense is just so far behind them. I mean, if they could score even 18 points per game, then they would probably be at 500 right now, but they can't do it. So that I think all of that pressure and all of the stuff that comes with you know, not just the external expectations, but the internal expectations of when you bring in a quarterback who is supposed to elevate you to a whole new level. When it fails this much, it affects everybody within that organization. So they've got a lot to figure out in these last six weeks. There will be articles, there will be books, there will be documentaries generated as a result of what the hell happened this year for the Denver Broncos and Russell Wilson. And that defense continues to be great, even though in back-to-back years they traded away Vaughn Miller and traded away Bradley Chubb, and the defense hasn't missed a beat. Vaughn Miller helping the Bills this year. Miller suffered a knee injury against the Lions last Thursday. He's already been ruled out for this Thursday night against the Patriots. Here he is from the Vaughn cast addressing the injury that he has and creating some real hope for Bills fans that we may see him sooner rather than later. Here he is. 
I did get hurt. You know, the news is not the best of news, but it's definitely not the worst of news. Um, it's kind of like in the middle. You know, I didn't tear my ACL. That was the the huge, you know, part of it. You know, I do have some uh, lateral meniscus damage, and it's, it's going to have to be addressed. But I, I do feel like I can, you know, play through that. So I'm just going to wait a little bit, let the, let the swelling go down for about, you know, seven to ten days. And, you know, hopefully right before the Jets game, you know, I will be back. You see the injury happen there. It's amazing it doesn't occur more often. All those bodies in that mosh pit of humanity where legs get twisted and guys have this huge, thick torso land on their ankles and knees. But he got out of there with just a lateral meniscus tear. Now, a repair takes a long recovery time, and so he's going to try to play without it being repaired. You can also sometimes, and I'm not playing like I know the medical side of it, but when you do this 20 years, you pick up enough. They can trim a meniscus, and then you just have less cartilage in there, and you're going to have a problem at some point later in your life or while you're trying to play when you got bone on bone because there's no cartilage left. You try to repair right. the meniscus if you can. Bottom line is he's got a meniscus tear, and he's got to try to manage it, but he seems optimistic, Miles, that we'll see him next weekend, Week 14 showdown with the New York Jets. So that's good news for the Bills, assuming he can come back and play and and avoid further injury to that knee. Yeah, I mean, it's great news, and that's something that you want to see. And frankly, the Bills signed Von Miller for this time of year and into January and beyond. They need him to be their closer. Now, the good thing for this week, uh, the silver lining, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, is that it looks like Greg Rousseau is going to be back. Now, Von Miller leads that team in sacks. He's got eight. Rousseau's got five. He's missed the last couple And him being back is going to help mitigate that loss of Von Miller because when you're missing both of your top edge rushers, it completely changes the complexion of your defense. Not having Von Miller also completely changes the complexion of your defense because he has been that good this year for them. But if he can come back after missing just a week, man, that really, really helps the Bills down the stretch. I haven't checked the playing percentage, the snaps that he's participated in week in and week out. But Brandon, being the GM of the team, and this came from Peter King before the season, about how they plan to use him. And the idea is have him on a general pitch count where you do have him available to you, as you said, Miles, this time of the year as we get closer to the playoffs. They need him to be 100%. I'd shut him down completely. I'd put him in, you know, in bubble wrap until the playoffs roll around, if there's any doubt whatsoever about this knee. But uh, he seems to be ready to go and willing to go uh, with that injury, and they they just have to hope that it doesn't get any worse. Aaron Rodgers has a couple of injuries that he's dealing with. We know about the broken thumb now. We didn't know about it a week or so ago. We, coincidentally or not, began to hear about the broken thumb after he played very poorly against the Titans on Thursday night, week 11. He said yesterday on Pat McAfee's show that he got some good news after scans on his ribcage on Monday. It was that Sunday night injury. They originally called it an oblique. After the game, Roger said, no, it's, it's ribs. He thought he had a punctured lung. He got good news. He plans on playing against the Bears. They have a bye week 14. And I'd like to think Jordan Love and the Packers could beat the Bears, especially if Justin Fields doesn't play again. I I also think at some level Aaron Rodgers doesn't want to give Jordan Love the chance to go out there and play like he did the other night. There's a certain element of I got to protect my job here and Jordan Love's looking pretty damn good. Now it was a limited sample size but still Love looked great the other night and we talked about this yesterday Miles the sliding scale the balance you have a starter that's below 100% and you have a backup that's at 100 at what point are you better off going with the fully healthy backup and when you when you see what Jordan Love did, I don't know. I I this seems to me like a perfect opportunity to say take the week off, then we have the bye, then we make our decision after that. But I just don't think Aaron Rodgers wants to surrender that mantle. That's what Brett Favre did for years. He did not want to give anyone else a chance to do to him what he had done to Don Mikowski back in the 1992 season when Favre entered after Mikowski got injured and Favre never looked back. Yeah. And you know what? It's interesting, too, because Aaron Rodgers, 
has just not performed at the level that kind of we expect to see from Aaron Rodgers. I mean, he's back-to-back MVP, right? And Jordan Love, when he comes into that game, he looks ready. And that's kind of what the problem is. Jordan Love looks like he's ready. And objectively, if you take like a 30,000-foot view of the Packers right now, don't you want to see Jordan Love play before you have to make the decision on his fifth-year option in the spring? I mean, this is kind of the perfect opportunity for the the Packers to get a real read on what Jordan Love can do if, for whatever reason, they wanted to shut down Aaron Rodgers for the rest of the season, right? I mean, right now, they've got the Bears, and they've got the bye, then they've got the Rams at home, they've got the Dolphins on the road, and then they've got the Vikings, and they've got the Lions to end the season. So that's all three division rivals that you could potentially see Jordan Love play against. Just objectively, I would want to see that. Now, Aaron Rodgers doesn't want that to happen. Aaron Rodgers wants to keep playing. I get that. He's a competitor. Of course he wants to keep playing. But if you're the Packers, that's you started to plan for your future when you drafted Jordan Love. At some point, don't you kind of want to see him? And that takes away from all the particulars of everything. But I, I would want to see Jordan Love if I'm Green Bay. Yeah, I agree with you completely. And when Aaron Rodgers said Sunday night that he wants to keep playing until they're mathematically eliminated, there's a difference between being mathematically eliminated and, as a practical matter, done. And they're, as a practical matter, done. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not mathematically eliminated because we've got this, you know, this tiniest of needle that maybe we can jam a piece of yarn through and you can somehow if you run the table and this happens this happens this happens you know we're getting to that time of year where we get all the permutations right it gets to a point where it just doesn't make sense now if they beat the bears maybe maybe there's a a glimmer of hope but even then you have to acknowledge it's probably not going to happen and maybe we need to see what we have in Jordan Love. And, you know, the other problem, too, Miles, we talked about this yesterday. I wrote about it. It ended up being our, our most visited story yesterday at PFT. The fact that the Packers have spent two years worrying about Rodgers either wanting to play for a new team or retiring, now they are morphing into worrying about him possibly wanting to keep going longer than they want him. And the problem next year, and someone just texted this to me, I've been trying to track down the details 59.465 million fully guaranteed for next year is what they have to deal with with Aaron Rodgers now what, what do you do how do you if he, if he wants to be there he's going to be there you're paying him that yeah. money you're not going to cut him you're going to pay him that money whether he's there or not you're going to bench him you're going to let Jordan Love play and you got your 60 million dollar investment on the bench and if you trade him you take a gigantic cap hit but you clear them off the books, I guess, like the Falcons did with Matt Ryan. You just bite the bullet and move on. But it's, it's a tough, tough situation for the Packers now, and it's something that they didn't envision, getting to the point where they're ready to move on and Rodgers is not. And he's got the power via his contract to say, deal with me. And why, why would he retire? That's a, you know, he talks about retirement all the time. You got $60 million. Yeah. In salary next year and option yeah. bonuses, fully guaranteed, whatever, however it's structured, it's $60 million he's going to make if he plays next year. That is a pretty strong magnet to get mm-hmm. him to play one more year, Miles. So would you pick up the fifth-year option on Jordan Love regardless of if you see him play or not? Because yes. I mean, based on Aaron Rodgers' contract, yes. I almost feel like you have to. Yes? I think you have to. I think you have yeah. to. And if you pick it up, that means after 2023, Rodgers is done. However yes. it plays out, however it plays out, he's done. And then we have the option year for, for Jordan Love to be the year where we figure out what we're going to do with him. It kind of like it, It's going to be expensive, but it's less expensive. Here's why it's less expensive. They changed the formula a few years ago. And the number goes up the more you play and the more you do. If you have right. a guy that you've had on ice for most of his first three seasons – it keeps the option number lower. So actually it helps the Packers to not play. I'd, I'd, have, to, I'd have to research the formula. That's a fancy way of saying I don't currently know. But you can make the argument it helps the Packers to keep him on ice 
because there's a way that that number can go up. And I don't know that he could do anything down the stretch that would affect that number, but the fact that he has hardly played, that that keeps the number for the fifth-year option low. So that's what they should do. And then after 2023, that's just it. It's done. Everybody knows going in, this is it. And maybe that's the only way you could do it with a guy like Aaron Rodgers. Everybody knows starting 2023, this is the last dance. Remember he mm. tweeted that image or put it on Instagram or whatever of him and Devontae Adams, he had no idea how right he was as it relates to Adams. Yeah. But maybe we go into 2023 with, this is it. After this, it's Jordan Love. Let's enjoy it, and then we go our separate ways. Yeah, and all of this just now as we talk about the contract and the $59 million and all of that, it kind of invalidates my entire point about wanting to see Jordan Love before you make the decision on the fifth-year option. So I guess, you know, if Aaron Rodgers is healthy, you, you might as well play him because you have, to, you, have to, you have all that money guaranteed for him next year. So it kind of doesn't matter. And it, you've got to pick up the option on Jordan Love because you think that may or may not be your future, you know. So I, it, it kind of doesn't matter whether he plays, though I still think – from that 30,000 foot perspective, you'd like to see him and see what he can do. And, and here's the other problem. And I mentioned this yesterday because I think they engineered Brett Favre's retirement in 2008 by going to him in February saying, we need an answer right now because they knew what mm-hmm. he was going to do. Dealing with Brett Favre is like dealing with a dog. Dealing with Aaron Rodgers is like dealing with a cat. And they have to just be very careful. And there's still a way that he decides on his own to retire. That I'm done, but they can't yeah. act like they want him to retire. They have yeah, to tread, t- they have to tiptoe around him. Somebody told me when he was on McAfee yesterday, he had a Rubik's Cube behind him. You know, he likes to send these stupid ass messages. And I-, I think he's smart enough to know. He's not smart enough to know 9 11 happened, apparently, but he is smart enough to know. I that, but I digress. But he is smart, he is smart enough to know that, that the, the Packers feel like they may have to outsmart him here. And that that adds a layer of drama and intrigue to it that could make things very interesting as the offseason approaches. All right, let's take a break. When we return, we're going to take a closer look at some tight division races and the question of whether or not the current leaders can hold on. We'll do that next on this Wednesday edition of PFT Live. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. 